Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. El segundo intento, que volea, que golazo. Con la pierna izquierda, Mesut Özil. Que puede enamorar 1-0, tanto de Özil. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly Christmas, goodly Festivus, goodly seasons, greetings of this time of year to you. Oh, that's very good. I think you ticked all the appropriate boxes there. Yeah, goodly belated Christmas, goodly wishes to everyone listening. Absolutely. How was uh, how was your uh, your Christmas? All good, I hope. Yeah, it was lovely. Lovely, thank you. Actually, to be honest, I quite enjoyed that Arsenal's schedule was relatively light over Christmas. You know, it it meant that they couldn't sort of ruin it for me. So <laughs> I, I just had a nice time, chilled out. It was fun. What about you? Yeah, same. Fairly chilled out. Uh, it was weird not having an Arsenal game on the 26th because mm. that's usually the thing. And I'm, I'm a big fan of Christmas dinner too. You know, you have Christmas dinner right. and it's great. But the next day, you've got, like, Christmas dinner again. You know, cook up some fresh veg and what have you. But you got the turkey, you got the ham, it's all sitting there. And for me, it just tastes better on on uh, Stephen's Day or Boxing Day, as uh, as you lot like to call it. Um, as we preposterously term it, yeah. <laughs> I, think it is, I think it is better. It's like Home Alone. I think the sequel is better than the original, you know? Do you? Yeah. I do. And I think I think the same is true with Christmas lunch. If anything, I wish we could go straight to Christmas lunch two rather than Christmas lunch one. I think it's superior. Right. So what you want to do is go into some kind of time-lapse coma type thing on Christmas Day and just wake up on Stephen's Day or the next day and have the have the dinner. But but can you enjoy Christmas dinner two the same way unless you've had Christmas dinner one? I think you have to read a synopsis of Christmas Dinner 1, at least, just to give you the gist <laughs> of what's been going on. Um, no, I, I don't know if it is the same. What I will say is that my, as I get older, my tolerance for repeated Christmas dinners is lessening. So because I sort of have to visit various family members, by the end of this sort of three, four-day period, I'm kind of on Christmas Day Christmas lunch, sort of four or five, you know, <laughs> by, by, by like the 28th, I'm eating like, you know, t- cold turkey and gammon or whatever with, uh, you know, bubble and squeak or whatever for like the the, the fifth time. And yeah. I do start to struggle at that point. I was craving a bit of fruit or something just to kind of, you know, break the cycle. Madness, madness. We've had the turkey soup here the last day uh, or two. So, yeah, you know, nice. you just squeeze every last bit of it out. Uh, and I think that's uh, that's the way it should be done. You don't want any waste that's that's the thing. I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, they don't come cheap, these turkeys. No, they don't. Fucking hell. I know. I, mean, I didn't realise, to be honest. 
I didn't really realise either because normally my dad gets the turkey and he's been uh, he's been under the weather a bit recently. So we've been doing all the Christmas shopping and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, what? How much for a fucking for a turkey? Really? I know. So I was like, listen, we're not wasting a single bite of this turkey. Like all of it's getting eaten in sandwiches, in you know the two Christmas dinners, in the turkey soup, and anything that's left over is going into the belly of a German shepherd, and uh, he he has very much enjoyed, um, you know, the scraps and bits and pieces that he's got off the turkey. There's, like, there's no way I'm wasting something that costs that much money. It's just absurd, even the thoughts yeah. of it. I think we should start farming our own turkeys. That's, I mean, you know, football writing's a volatile field. Turkey breeding. <laughs> That's, that'll make us millionaires. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, it can't be difficult, can it? I mean, just keep birds in humane conditions all year round, fatten them up at Christmas time, once exactly. a year. Got a little garden. They can run around in there, free range. Yeah. Christmas time, sell them, I don't know, 500 quid each or whatever it is, and then we're quids in. 500 quid each. <laughs> oh, but anyway, look, apart from all the turkey and stuff, um, Arsenal did play, and they played last night, and they they didn't spoil Christmas. They gave us that most Arsenal of gifts, a game that we won but could probably have dropped points in, played some great football, but also looked like chumps for a little bit. It was all in there. It was all in the in the mix, in the box, in the Christmas package from Arsenal. Uh, what did you make of it? It was like all the great Christmas stories. It was full of twists and turns and the ghosts of Christmas pasts were returning to haunt us, but <laughs> all came good in the end, you know, and we, we enjoyed it. I, I thought it was, um, look, I, I mean, we've been so poor on the road this season that to come away from any ground that's not the Emirates Stadium with a win... I sort of feel quite content with that at the moment. I'm pretty delighted that we've got that result over the line. Obviously, there are concerns in the performance, but it would be wrong to say I've made my peace with it, but I've kind of accepted some of the limitations of this team. And we're now at sort of the midway point of the season. And I think expecting a dramatic improvement in certain areas that have been problematic for years is probably you know unrealistic. So when we kind of muddle through... I think I have to try and derive the positives from that. Otherwise, yeah. I'm just going to drive myself mad. I, I mean, I think the thing about, you know, when you talk about the defence, for example, I think this is what we're yeah. talking about. There there has been down the years uh, issues, or there have been issues, I should say, and weaknesses that we don't ever seem to have really tried to address. I'm learning how yeah. to speak English again. I don't know what's happened to me. Probably all the sure. all the festive snacks that I've been eating. Oh my God, I got this amazing cheese, which I recommend. It, it has whiskey in it. It's whiskey cheese from Marks really? and Spencer's. Yeah. And it's it's actually got like uh, Scottish single malt whiskey in it, which I'm not a big fan of, but in cheese form on bread, it's it's marvelous. Um, but I think it's had an effect on me. So if you, um, if you hear me struggling with words and trying to words put in the correct order, etc., cetera, uh, bear with me. Um, but what what was I saying? Uh, defense. Yeah, I mean, in recent times, we have at least tried to do something about it in the sense that we've gone with a back three and mm. then we've gone back to a back four and then we went back to a back three again and now we seem to intermittently switch between a back three and a back four depending on the game and the opposition and what the manager thinks might be the best approach for that particular game. But uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really make much difference. As you say, we're we're... 
we're, I think, fundamentally weak, both in terms of our organization and our concentration, which to me seems to be the big issue, one of the big issues anyway, because we can talk about player quality and uh, organizational qualities and uh, tactics and the way they're set up and the way they're drilled. And I think there's improvements to be made there all the time. But but so many of the goals that we can see just seem to come down to players switching off or not doing what you would expect them to do. And I think last night's goal was a case in point when the the cross came in from the left from Zaha. And I love I loved the commentators. Oh, that Zaha is back to his best. And you're going, well, he just trickled a ball into the yeah. into the air. It wasn't like a low fizzing cross. It just sort of trundled slowly in a diagonal trajectory across our box. And our defenders looked at it and went, what's that thing? What is it? I, I've never seen one of those before in my life. I'm not going to approach it in case it's a bomb, perhaps. It might be dangerous. It might be yeah. dangerous. I'm not going near that. Um, uh, and that was ridiculous. And then, of course, uh, Kolasinac uh, had seen the run of Townsend and came with him to a certain extent, but then just stopped and, and Townsend was there to, to put it in. So, you know, like so many of the goals we can see, it was very avoidable. I, th- I think sometimes, you know, you talk about concentration. I think you're right. I think that's a really big issue. And I think sometimes it's easy to think, well, that's kind of an inherent psychological thing in a player. You know, do they have focus or do they not? Yeah. We think of it as something that's not necessarily coachable. But I don't think that's true because I think, and I think you can see it sometimes easier in other teams than you can in our own. If I think back to Alexis Sanchez's header against Liverpool the other week, and I remember watching the pundits kind of take that goal apart and talk about Joe Gomez, who was playing right back in that game. And he just lets Alexis kind of run off his shoulder yeah. and get to the cross first. And and I think it was Gary Neville talking and saying, you know, when I was a young kid as a defender, I was coached. I had to look. I think he said no more than one second can pass without me taking a look, you know, to see where my man is and where the ball is. My head has to constantly move back and forth. And it's such a basic, simplistic thing but it does show that these problems are I think actually solvable by coaching whether or not it's sort of too far gone at Arsenal but those are things that need to be drummed into young players it doesn't feel like they are drummed in effectively Mm, yeah yeah and really what is going to change at this point under this current system under this current uh, management structure what is going to change you know you have yeah you have one of the the club's greatest centre halves Steve Bold as the assistant manager. And, you know, people talk about Adams and Keown all the time, but, but, you know, Bold was a a fantastic defender. Very underrated, I think. Um, Maybe because he didn't catch the eye quite as much as Adams, who was more uh, loud and shouty. And Keown, of course, was this um, man-marking kind of tyrant going around, kicking people up in the air all the time. Whereas Bold just got on with his job and was brilliant at what he did and how he did it. But, you know, if you've got that and you've got him there and even he can't get this into these players, then then you've got to wonder if it's ever going to happen and uh, whether or not we should get so hung up about it. Um, simply because, yeah. you know, until something else changes, that's not going to change. Does that make sense? Should we just accept that for it, it exactly. just is who who we are and we are what we do and we do it the way we do it? It's the fable about the scorpion, isn't it? You know, we support a scorpion and we'll keep Do you know what I'm talking about? You mean the scorpion and the frog? Yeah. The one where the frog needs a lift over the river and the scorpion says jump on my back. Um that one. Yeah, and the fans of the frog 
and we just want to get to the river because the Premier League trophy's on the other side right. of the river. And the score... Hang on. Who's what is the scorpion? It? No, wait. Hang on. A frog says to Arsene the scorpion... Arsene Wenger is a scorpion. Right. And I am a frog. You're the frog. And you're jumping on Arsene Wenger's well. back. Yeah, basically he stings you. Basically, whatever happens, he stings me because that's what he does. Ah, doesn't the scorpion get on the back of the frog? We've got it. That makes race. more sense, doesn't yes. it? Because scorpions can't swim. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if they can swim, but maybe frogs are better at swimming. And that's the thing. The frog says, "Don't sting me, you scorpion prick. Otherwise, I'm going to die and you're going to drown." And the scorpion says, "Of course, I won't. I won't sting you. I won't." And then the scorpion jumps on the frog's back halfway over. He stings him. Frog goes, "You stupid cunt." Now I'm going to die and you're going to die. And he goes, hey, that's just the way it is. I'm Arsene Wenger. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's how it goes uh, down. I think that kind of, I mean, I don't know how much of this is self-preservational, but I kind of think for my own sanity, I have kind of accepted that, you know, there are going to be certain inherent flaws in this team. Is that... <sighs> Is that wrong as a fan? Should I be demanding more? I, I don't know. I mean, we can demand all we want, but nothing happens, right? And I was thinking last night after this game, and I, I, I said, you know, I'm not sure I really like this team. And no. I don't mean I don't like the club, and I do like some of the players. I'm just not sure I like this team because, you know the way the prisoners in Guantanamo Bay are kept there with no hope whatsoever of ever getting out. Maybe some of them have got out, but they're kept there in this terrible um, prison place where they don't get uh, justice or a fair trial or anything like that. Sure. And that's that's kind of a, a metaphor for us as fans because, we you know, we can't change our team. We can't give up on our team, you know. But also, they torture those prisoners in Guantanamo Bay by playing music at them. And they don't just play shit music really loud. One of the things that they do is they play the same song at them over and over and over again. And I feel somewhat like that's the situation with Arsenal. That you look at them and you go, don't do that. Come on, we're 3-1 up. Just don't don't make the last five minutes a fucking nightmare. Don't do it. Oh, you did it. You, you pricks. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's the same song over and over and over. And is it a Phil Collins song? I'm not sure it's that bad. I'm not okay. sure it's quite a Phil Collins song. It could be just... The UN have intervened. It could be. You know what it could be? It could be one of those like quite good songs that you like when At you first. hear it first. And it's, yeah. got a, it's got a good beat. It's got a nice chorus. There's a, a, very, uh, a very emotional key change in the middle eight. It's, it's sure. good. You like it. And then you hear it again. You hear it again. You're like, oh, I'm not, I can't listen to this song anymore. It's a bit I think like that's a better analogy because first time round, yeah. it was probably relatively entertaining. I, I don't know what the song is. Maybe Saturday Night by Wakefield. I'm not sure if yeah. that's who we are, but it, it's that kind of feeling I get when I look at them. I go, "What the shit are you doing to me now?" And to you know, to everybody else by extension, everybody else, I I can see it sort of happening. But look, you know, I think they are quite a hard team to like. I mean, it feels a bit sort of dirty saying that it feels a bit guilt I feel a bit guilty but when I thought I had the same thought last night where I just thought I don't it's weird actually because they won the cup a matter of months ago the vast majority of these players but I don't hold that many of them in great affection at the moment uh, yeah I mean I yeah I don't dislike well uh, you know any of them either really um 
they're just sort of there. Um, but I find them as a collective. I think they're good individuals and there's good characters and some of them are funny and, and what have you and everything else. But just as a collective, I find it hard to to react positively to a lot of the stuff that they do on the pitch because it's just so it's just so frustrating. Mm, yeah. That it is curious. Uh I mean speaking of curious, to sort of go back to the beginning and okay. to begin at the back. What did you make of Arsenenga going with the the back 3 rather than the back 4? Well, uh was I surprised? I'm not sure I was surprised. Again, I think it plays into this idea that we have at the moment that we're a little bit... We don't quite know what our system is or how it is that we're supposed to be playing. I think maybe he looked at... You you know, you look at the squad and you think, well, why did he make the change for this game? Mm. What was it about this game that made him think we need to go to a back three? Christian Benteke? Wilfred Zaha? Were they the kind of players that made him go, we need to be more compact or need to have that extra man in defence? Or was it the fact that, for example, Alex Iwobi in the last few games hasn't been able to to influence uh, the game in the way that he might like, that he's been struggling for form? So who else has he got to play in that position? Does he play well back there? Nah. Does he play Walcott there? I don't know why he picks the teams that he picks. I mean, you, you look at it on paper, it was fine. You know, a reasonable back three, Callum Chambers getting a nod, which I was pleased to see. I think he did all right, actually, Callum Chambers. Had, had, had a bit of a an iffy start early on in terms of his passing. He looked to be making, trying to make things happen a yeah. bit too much, but, but settled into it well for his first Premier League start of the season. And I'm glad to see that we are now using our young centre-halves because we have to either make a decision that they're they're good enough for us or not uh, and do something about that. And I don't really see us doing the other thing like buying new defenders at this moment in time. So let's have a go at, at seeing them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was fine. I think, uh, you know, the first half, I thought we played some really, really lovely football at times. There were some beautiful counterattacks. There was a couple of moves which, if they'd come off and if we'd been able to find a finish, would have been truly outstanding goals. There was one yeah. after a series of passes that we kept the ball for ages and moved it and created space. I can't quite remember, but I remember thinking, geez, if that went in, you know, it would have been a great goal. So I think there was a lot of a lot that was positive about the first half. The only thing that really wasn't positive was the fact that we only had the one goal lead. Yeah, it was, Ozil had a, a couple of opportunities. One after that brilliant pass from Sanchez where he just kind of continued the ball in the same direction. And Spironi actually did pretty well to anticipate that that's what he was going to do yeah, and make yeah. a save. And then there was the other one where he kind of took it between two defenders but couldn't get the shot away, tried to square it to Bellerin, but it was just it just ran a little bit wide. I yeah. think it was Bellerin anyway. Yeah. Um, and Lacazette had that lovely bit of footwork inside the box where he evaded about four defenders, then fired wide at yeah. the near post. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we did all right. And I thought the back three, it was interesting. It was kind of, you know, I guess Arsene is showing a degree of flexibility, which... You know, we have to hold our hands up and say it's something we've called for in the past and, and kind of, you know, d- changing the team determined by the opponent. He probably had bad memories of Skodra Mustafi playing in a back four in this game last season. I certainly do remember him being dragged out of the box by the wingers, getting caught on the touchline, leaving the other centre-half isolated. Mm. So maybe maybe that was partly why I thought, let's pack it with a three. I think he definitely prefers Mustafi in a three to a, to a two. But... Um, yeah, I mean, the first half was good and Palace weren't good. Palace really weren't good in that half. And I suppose at half time, 
the kind of overriding feeling was one of, well, you know, we had our chances, didn't we? We should have killed the game probably by that point. Yeah, we should have been further ahead at least. If not killing the game, we should have had more than a one-goal lead. And that was my concern at halftime was, I hope that these chances don't come back to bite us in the arse. And within five minutes of the restart, you're, you're, you're level. Um, mm. And again, this comes back to, you know, hearing the same song again, because it was, I think, their first shot on target. First shot on target goal seems to be a very Arsenal thing. Um, so, look, from there, there was the worry for me that we were going to go, uh-oh. And as a collective, as we have done in the past, we would melt a little bit. I think they had a couple of decent chances, maybe not decent chances, a couple of half chances, I should say. The crowd got behind them, crowd got a bit loud. But I think in general, we, we came through that little period quite well. And then we saw something that we haven't seen very much this season, and that's Alexis Sanchez making a decisive impact on a game. And he scored two goals, two goals ultimately, which won us the points. And I suppose he has justified his selection there because for the last number of weeks, there have been people saying he should be out of the team. He's not He's not putting in the effort. He doesn't care anymore. I, you know, I I don't think that's true. And he showed what uh, what a key player he can be for us. And and in games like this, where we are defensively weak, when we're not going to keep a clean sheet, we need the potency at the other end of the field. And he is the man who can do that for us. Yeah, and and I, to be honest, even in those last few weeks where his overall game has been justifiably criticised, he has made some really telling contributions. Yeah. I actually thought. His all-round game was much better at Palace. I thought even in the first half, he was one of our better players. I mentioned that brilliant pass for Ozil, but he was always looking to make things happen, always looked dangerous and a little bit more accurate. I haven't seen the stats, but it seemed like he was a little bit more consistent on the ball. Um, And those goals were both breathtaking goals, really. I mean, the first one, it's about, you know, taking the initiative, taking the shot early, catching the keeper off guard and the sheer power that he manages to get. The second one... Is just great technique. I think part of the first goal that's overlooked is the fact that when Callum Chambers puts the ball back in, Alexis wins a header against the centre half that he really had no right to win. It was a lofted mm. ball in. The it should have been meat and drink really for the um, for the defender. And Alexis got up, nodded it down uh, to Lacazette, who passed it back to him. And uh, uh, yeah, the finish was was really superb. I'm just looking at stats here. 82% passing average uh, yesterday uh, from Alexis. So that's a big improvement on where he normally is. Um, yeah. And you wonder, is there a correlation between that and the fact that, you know, our overall game, particularly in the first half, was much better? Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously the fact that we really dominated possession in that half will probably help. There was, might have been a bit easier for him to find a teammate in certain situations, but... I don't know, it was a packed defence and he, he was just sharper, Alexis. You could see it uh, from the kickoff. It's hard to determine exactly why that was, but things came off for him. You know, sometimes with a player like that, if the first thing they try comes off, it can just allow them to blossom into the game. Uh, and it looked like that with Alexis. And you're right about him contesting for the header. He did that a few times in the game, went up for stuff and won headers he had no right to win. Uh, and, you know, when you look back at Ozil's goal, the volley was against Newcastle. Yep. The fact that he was even in the box, you know, challenging in that position does make a difference. Inside the penalty box, he is such an explosive force. And I do think that the challenge, and Arsene Wenger does at least seem aware of this, is to make him effective in those areas, to get him into those areas. Because 
you know, we don't have anybody, even Lacazette, I don't think you can say is quite as lethal in those areas. No, I mean, look, Alexis, for all the uh, trials and tribulations and for all the criticism, is now our joint leading scorer. Yeah. You know, Um, and, and that I think says a little bit about Lacazette, says a bit about Alexis, it says a bit about the team in general, that goals haven't been as forthcoming as they should be. You know, to be at the end of December and for your leading goal scorers to have eight each is not particularly great. Um, but, you know, it maybe puts into perspective his contribution this season. I think he, he is a player that frustrates people. We were in that classic situation, aren't we, where we I think we all know that he's going to leave. We all know that mm-hmm. when it comes to the summer, and I think it will be the summer rather than January, he's not going to renew his contract and he's going to go. So there's this almost like a defense mechanism for people where they go, well, he's going to leave. Therefore, he is a bad man now and I won't like anything that he does and I will criticize everything that he does. And there are things about him that that should be criticized. As, uh, that's not to say that he's uh, exempt from it in any way, but I do feel like it's been overblown a bit, particularly at a time when uh, players in general and the team in general are not playing particularly well. Um there's a, there seems to be a lot of scapegoating of individuals uh, this season. Uh, you think of uh, Alexis is one, Bellerin's another, Xhaka is another. But really, the overall problem is the uh, is the system, is the collective, rather than the individuals themselves. Um, so, so I look, yeah. I think it was a great, great contribution for him. And what's promising for me is that he is very often a streaky goal scorer. He's a guy who will not score for a few games, but then will score five or six games in a row. And that would be very welcome if he's if he's found his shooting boots again, particularly over the next week when we've got uh, two games in the next uh, five days, really. Um, and we've got to get points from those. We've got to get points and we're without uh, a, a, a fairly reliable goal scorer in Olivier Giroud. So if he can come into a bit of form in front of goal at this point, that would be very handy indeed. I mean, as for that second goal, what about the pass as well? Great ball, it wasn't it, from Jack Wilshire? Really was. Beautiful. And it's the kind of ball and the kind of run that we've been talking about Lacazette making, right? Yeah. Where we're not aware or we're not willing to make that pass over the top for the run of the, the striker and Alexis Alexis made the run. Wilshire's pass was absolutely uh, spot on. Uh, he is capable of that. You know, he's got a, a great left foot for that uh, kind of thing. And now touch and finish was was brilliant from Alexis. Uh, it really was top quality. I can't think of any other player in our team, certainly not with the greatest of respect to Danny Welbeck or Theo Walcott or even Olivier Giroud. I don't think they're the player who can make that run and that touch and that finish. And that's no. what makes... Uh, Sanchez so valuable but I thought Wilshire was really good I think he's doing everything he can to convince Arsene Wenger he's worthy of a new deal isn't he you know he's he's proved his fitness he's fit now it's the end of December he hasn't had an injury absence and I think I think in some ways people's frustration at not seeing Wilshire in the team in the Premier League sooner needs to be put in the context of the fact that he has been eased back into the team and brought through and not overplayed uh, because that's what co- uh, has caused his injuries before in the past. We've been sensible. There's been sensible management about him, and maybe now we're seeing the benefit of that. But he's proven his fitness. He's now proving that he can still make a contribution at Premier League level, and I really hope that they can sort something out in terms of a contract. Um, it doesn't make any sense not to do it. It's whether or not Wilshire is going to sign it. For me, it's, 
Yeah, I mean, it sounds positive, doesn't it, from his end? I, I, I didn't see his interview after the game, but in in blank text, you know, it looked uh, looks yeah. as if he thinks it'll get it done. Yeah, it depends what what the deal on offer is. For me, I guess, yeah. for me, Wenger's been a bit cagey about this. Um, you know, we'll sit down, we'll talk to him. He said it's up to it's up to Jack to decide if he if this is where he wants to be. And I do wonder if that's some kind of caveat as to what kind of offer they're going to make him. You know, mm. whether his injury record comes into it, whether there's a not a pay as you play contract, but an element of that to it that, you know, some of it is dependent on his fitness and his appearances. And uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? But, you know, when you look at all the other contract situations, um, we really need to get this done. And if we can't get Jack Wilshire to sign a new contract with the club, then something is really, really wrong. Whatever about yeah, that- whatever about Alexis, if we can't do that, that's a problem. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting how kind of fate works, isn't it? This injury to Aaron Ramsey really has opened the door for Wilshire to come into that Premier League team, and and he has he has shone really. I mean, he's he's withstood the test, and he's not only is he playing regularly, he's playing ninety minutes, and I didn't think I would necessarily see that from him this season. Yeah. So his progress has really surpassed my expectations, and that pass yesterday was absolutely outstanding to be honest it was reminiscent of uh, the kind of pass we used to see Cesc Fabregas make you know in his Arsenal days those balls over the top and if he can start finding Lacazette with those then maybe we'll see uh, the Frenchman on the score sheet a little more regularly than he has been of Mm. late Okay on Lacazette what did you make of the decision to take him off with 15 minutes to go you know as happens every time that substitution is made now you know people go absolutely mental because they want to see him play 90 minutes. Um, yeah. I, I thought it made sense in context. You know, Giroud's out. He's our only... I mean, we've got Danny Welbeck as a centre-forward, but he's not been in any kind of form recently. Um, I know he scored that screamer in the, <laughs> the League Cup the other day, uh, off his shin or whatever it was. But, um, I, I, you know, I think you've got to protect Lacazette. We've got big games coming up, Chelsea next week. Uh, I suppose my one criticism maybe of the substitution would be that I don't know if we necessarily needed Coquelin at that point could we have brought on an Iwobi or Welbeck Welbeck yeah exactly you know Uh, I have a straight swap you know I didn't think that what Palace were doing was so threatening to us and in some ways the introduction of Coquelin changed the momentum it shifted it because we're going okay what we have we hold and um, yeah come, come and have a go and they did come and have a go and they had a very, I think, productive last 10 minutes where they had a number of chances that, that weren't far away from a goal. There was a header from Zaha. There was another shot, I think, which went not far wide. And I think that I understood the, the, the removal of Lacazette from the point of view, you want him fresh for West Brom or you want him, you know, super fresh for, for Chelsea. But I don't. I didn't think what, what Palace were doing was so threatening that we needed to go defensive we could have kept the same shape and we could have put Welbeck up top or Welbeck on the left and Alexis up top and as Mm. they came forward looking for the goals we then had the ability to hit them on the counter attack with with that kind of uh, attacking quality so it wasn't so much the removal of Lacazette that gave me a problem it was the the introduction of Coquelin um, and, and that's nothing personal really against Coquelin it's just that kind of a player has that kind of uh, an effect on the game yeah I mean five games I think five appearances anyway without a, a goal for Lacazette is there any kind of concern for you there? a little bit maybe but 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure we're giving him a great deal of service. You know, the the best chance he had yesterday, for example, was one that he made himself with the, that lovely, uh, those lovely quick feet in the box that you you spoke yeah. about. So, um, if he was missing chances, then perhaps yeah, I'd be a bit more worried. As it is, he's not quite getting the chances he should. So maybe that's something we need to address. And if he's, you know, not scoring in ten games, then you might you might start to have a problem. But uh, not not quite yet for me. No, uh, yeah, I, I think he probably, you know, we probably would expect a little better in terms of just sheer number of goals so far this season. But I, I do kind of feel like maybe I'm doing that thing that people do with new signings, where they give them breaks they wouldn't necessarily give other players. But yeah, I kind of feel like it's not his fault I feel like you know the team aren't necessarily playing to his strengths yeah um but yeah it'll be interesting to see. I mean I really really think that that Wilshire pass for Alexis is a real template for what we need to do more for Lacazette and his frustration at not being found after making those runs time and time again continues to show and we need to we have players in Jacker and Wilshire who are absolutely capable of doing it so they yeah. need to look for it more often yep 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 um, and maybe that instruction has to come from the manager as well you know as part of yep. the tactical setup as part of our preparation for the game you know be aware that this run could happen uh, you know particularly if you're playing against a team with with relatively slow defenders I think what the Wilshire pass last night showed was that you don't need the defence to push up that high because they weren't that high up the pitch you know, it was just a, a beautiful ball from Wilshire. And if you've got the, the ability to make passes with that precision, then you've got players with the quality uh, of Lacazette, of Alexis, uh, to make more of them than, than we have done. But, um, you know, late goal uh, made the last few minutes a little bit more nervy than they should have been. But, you know, overall, three goals away from home, three points away from home, and just what we needed when you look at the table. We're level with Tottenham. Uh, we're a point behind Liverpool. In in uh, who are in fourth, the situation is frustrating, but it's not quite as bad as as maybe it, it feels at times. No, I don't. I don't think it is. I mean, look, we are still in the mix, and that's the thing. We can gripe what we want about this team's uh, failings, but we are in the mix for top four, and that's where we have to be. I know we want to be higher than that, but we have to be in that fight. We have to be. We have to try and get in there. Yeah. We have to try and get in there to make the, the work of next summer easier. So, you know, I guess we're kind of on track. It would be nice to have a bit of a cushion and be in there ahead of Liverpool. Um, but, you know, we can't change that now. They've taken four points off us this season and that's going to that's gonna have an influence on the league table. Yeah, sure will, sure will. Okay, well, look, we'll leave it there for part one. What we're going to do now is take a short little break. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? 
Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Halftime is a uh, time during the podcast. Time for refreshment, James. Sometimes a toilet mm. break. Sometimes you go and make a cup of tea and sometimes you find a vegetable in your cup of tea. What's going on? Yeah, I found a pea in my tea. <laughs> I mean... And I, I, I do mean the green vegetable. I don't mean a urine sample. I don't mean a penny, a coin at the bottom of the glass. One pea. I mean a, a little green pea. Uh, I sort of found, I chanced upon it in my teeth and was like, what's this? And it's very definitely a pea. Why? How it's come How? to be in the mug, I, have, I, don't, I do not know. Is someone trying to slip me vegetables to try and expediate my recovery from this cold that I've got. I don't know. I made the tea myself. And I you... distinctly remember putting milk in it. I even put sugar in. Why not? It's Christmas. But at no point did I think, I know what will spice this up as a little festive treat. <laughs> put chuck a few peas in. Right. Do you think it's possibly a uh, piece of revenge from your wife, who Maybe. after hearing this podcast is going to go... Uh, Got enough peas, James. Got enough peas very, in your tea there, do you? Very possibly. Yeah. Very possibly, yes. That would be very much in character. Uh, it could be that. It oh. could be that. I, I think it might be a sort of washing up mishap where, I don't know, at some point in the washing up, a pea has left a plate and joined the and entered the mug. But, but how I haven't noticed that. Yeah. Unless it's something even more sneaky and sinister where somebody is... Uh, putting peas into the tea bags and then or just the letting... Kettle, perhaps. Yeah, or the kettle, yeah. Wow, never thought of the How kettle. How deep does this conspiracy go? Very deep indeed, very deep. Uh, I, d- I don't have any uh, peas in my bottle of water here, um, so we'll, we'll move on. Think. Yeah, <laughs> for now. Um, <laughs> all right, well, look, let's, um, let's start with some questions, will we? And Yeah, all right. Uh, do you want to start or will I? I'll start if that's okay. all right. Well, I've got this one from Guna JJ on Twitter, who's at Captain JJ eighteen eighty six, and JJ says uh, Thierry Henry alluded post match to division in the dressing room on the basis of two separate groups of goal celebrations when Alexis scored. What do you think of that? I didn't watch the post match stuff because I find it generally interminable. Uh, sure. So, I mean, did you watch this? No, I have seen the clip of uh, the team celebrating. I believe it's Alexis's second goal and everybody runs to him except Laurent Koscielny, who just kind of stays on his centre-back spot where, with his hands on his hips. Okay, well, look, I, I, first I thing... I feel that might be as much to do with his Achilles than anything else. <laughs> well, look, I mean, the first thing is that we know Koscielny and, and Alexis had a big bust-up last season and that's what led him to being left on the bench when we went to Liverpool if you remember there was uh, there was an issue there's issues there between those two guys I would also say that it's also a centre half thing 
that, you know, I'm not going to run all the way up the other end of the pitch to celebrate a goal when I can mm. just stay in my position and get ready. Um, and, I'm uh, disgusted by Petr Cech. Why was he not there in the corner flag? So he didn't even take his hat off. Exactly. The man has no decency. Exactly. So I think perhaps, you know, there there is an element of reading far too much into it than there actually is. Um, even if Koscielny and uh, Alexis aren't the best of friends, I don't think it was a deliberate snub. Uh, and I've just noticed that Stuart McFarlane has posted a picture on Twitter of Alexis Sanchez. The caption is, Alexis Sanchez celebrates scoring the second Arsenal goal with Lauren Koscielny during yesterday's win at Crystal Palace. And they're giving each other kind of a, a high five kind of a thing. Um, so that's probably back in the Arsenal half uh, at some point. Um, yeah. And I Charles did look, Watts uh, yeah. made a good point on Twitter. He said, uh, you know, Thierry isn't really one to talk. It's not like he didn't pick and choose who he celebrated with at times. Uh, Take Reyes for one, which oh, is yeah. very much true. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I did watch the clips of the goals. I watched the goals again and I watched what the players did when uh, Alexis went off celebrating. Was he left on his own? Did he do a knee slide to oblivion, turn around, looking for the adoration and and found nobody there? They'd all gone and left him lonely in the corner? No, they didn't. There were some of them celebrating with him, some of them celebrating with Wilshire for the pass. Most of them celebrated the, uh, the, the first Alexis goal. They were all there. So it seems to me like it's easy to create that kind of a, uh, here we go with a wanky word phrase, narrative, on TV because it's makes for like controversial TV in some way. I don't know. It's easy just to, 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 to put that out there without being able to back it up. And what we've seen from the evidence of uh, photographs, what we've seen from the evidence of the video is that it doesn't stand up to any real scrutiny. Is Alexis Sanchez the most popular guy in the Arsenal dressing room? Absolutely not. Has he been the most popular guy since he joined? No way. He's a difficult character and he's not one to whom everybody warms. But, you know, just saying because you don't celebrate with somebody, it's this mad big issue, this uh, troublesome thing. I don't I don't buy into that at all. I think it's really just bollocks. Um, and I think, uh, I, yeah, it's bollocks. I, I'm sure there is a little bit of an issue there, but I'm not sure it matters remotely. Do you no. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm sure some of the players like other players more than other players, but it doesn't... It doesn't make any odds. And I think it's probably true in all football teams all around the world. And actually, I mean, Thierry Henry, you know, he's, his job is for Sky. He's neutral. But I'm sure Arsene Wenger must be thinking, why the fuck's he gone and said that? Like, it, it does create a storm out of absolutely nothing, to be honest. Yeah. Look, as uh, I think Arsene Wenger has said many times, you know, these guys are paid for their opinions. They're not paid to just, you know, be boring or, you know, it just... It's absolute storm in a teacup stuff. The idea that two players on a football team don't get on together is about as exciting as fucking painting a wall. You know, you put mm-hmm. 20 people, 25 people in a workplace, regardless of whether it's a football pitch, a doctor's office, a solicitor's, a fucking building site, there's going to be guys that don't get on. Simple as that. It's not the end of the world, but because it's... Uh, able to be blown out of proportion and able to be sort of um, molded into this media storm, they do it. And people, people, I, I guess people like it, I guess. Because mm. otherwise, yeah, why would they do it all the time? I don't know. I don't know. I just, mm. you know, there's fucking more important things going on than whether people celebrate. 
together. Um, football is like winning. That's what football is like. Mm. And, you know, if a player helps them do that, they generally make their peace with it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, here's a question about somebody who drew a lot of ire last night. I was surprised by quite how much vitriol there was aimed at Hector Bellerin. Um, mm. But Nicholas Alm, who's at Nicky Alm on Twitter, wants to know, Bellerin has been struggling for form for a long time now, and he was really poor defensively yesterday, as he has been all season. Should we be looking for someone to compete with him for that right-back, right-wing-back spot during the transfer window in January? Yeah, I mean, I I saw a few questions about this. So Bellerin, it really surprised me too. I was doing uh, the player ratings last night for ESPN. And, uh, you know, usually I've sort of backed my own judgment. I mean, it's kind of arbitrary and a bit mental doing player ratings at all. But, you know, when, when you do it, you make your own assessment. And uh, I think I gave Bellerin something very sort of middle of the road, maybe like a six or a seven. I actually thought he was pretty decent going forward mm. quite a lot of the time. He had that good shot that was turned away by Spironi, provided a threat on the overlap. Maybe I gave him a seven. And then when I went on my Twitter timeline, it was full of people absolutely castigating him, taking him apart, really. And I wrote a piece last week, I think, saying, what is it about Hector Bellerin that upsets people so much? It does feel like for a guy who's come through our academy, who's one of the most promising young players in world football, I, I really, really believe that. A really exciting young defender. He's still only 22, I think. We seem so ready to criticise him. It, it it seems quite curious, the whole thing. Yeah, I don't get it either. I don't get why he generates such vitriol. Like, I get, he, yeah. you know, he hasn't been great defensively, but neither has anyone else. And you're right. I think he's a really uh, exciting prospect. He's a really talented player. Uh, you know, he he has a feel for the club. He he's never found wanting really in terms of his effort. I think sometimes uh, he can be a bit um, prone to lapses of of concentration. But I just don't get what it is about him that makes people go absolutely crazy. Uh, I've seen some people say that, you know, they don't like his haircut or they don't like his Instagram. And maybe that's part of it. I, I don't know. But I, I, I didn't really see last night what was driving people so mad. And I had a look on who scored. I was looking at the heat maps. Mm. And Bellerin's heat map is all the way up the uh, right hand side of the pitch, as you would expect. And his uh, his greeniest bit or his lightest bit, which shows his heaviest involvement, was literally in the the space between the opposition penalty box and the corner flag. In that corner of the pitch was where he was doing most of his work. I then looked at yeah. the heat map of Mesut Ozil, who I think had a good game, but who was ostensibly playing on the right-hand side. Ozil's heat map, his most intense bits were on the left-hand side where he had mm. drifted over to play with Alexis because we know the two of them like to play together. That's where he spent most of the game. So what you have is Bellerin pretty much asked to attack down the right-hand side, very often with nobody with whom he can interchange passes unless he goes backwards or plays a ball in field. And also defend that entire right side. Now, I know he's got some cover from Callum Chambers or the right-sided centre-half in the three, but he has to do an awful lot of work down that right-hand side. 
I thought he was quite effective from an attacking point of view. I thought some of his runs in behind were excellent. He forced the keeper into a good save. Um, So I didn't really see what it was about last night that was driving people crazy. That said, I do get the point that maybe he is a player who could do with some competition and also one who could do with maybe a rest every now and again. So that would be good. Yeah, it would be good. So here's my here's my crazy idea, right? We have this young guy, 20-year-old guy, who has been played at left back and left (laughs) wing back all season long and has shown some real promise there, considering it's not his natural position. So what about the idea of that guy providing the cover for Hector Bellerin, either at right back or at right wing back? Because we don't have anyone else. Debushi wants to go. He can play in a back four, but really, he wants to go in January. He said it last week, I want to leave in January. Time for Mm. us to start thinking of a different solution then. So why not use Maitland-Niles on that side of the pitch? And you've got Kolasinac and Monreal when he's fit again for the left-hand side of the pitch, and now you have some balance. You've got some competition. You've got options. Seems reasonable. Yeah, that would have been absolutely my suggestion as well. I think singling Bellerin out for criticism on the basis of the Palace game... You know, to me, that is an example of, you know, a new signing being given uh, some grace that a, a player who's more established isn't. Because, you know, if one of the wingbacks was at fault last night, I thought it was Kolasinac, the way that he let Townsend run off the back of him. Uh, and I actually thought Bellerin had a, a far better game on the opposite side. And I think you're right about Maitland-Niles. You know, he's not a long-term left-back. That's not going to be his position. But right-back could legitimately be, or at least it could be a very good development position for him. So I would say rotate him in, give him the chance. He's shown he can play at full-back on the left. He'll probably be more comfortable on the right. Uh, and, and give Bellerin a bit of a rest every now and again. And some genuine competition. I think real competition will be vital for him. But I still think that we are... We are actually lucky to have Bellerin, that's my opinion. I think Barcelona would take him. I think Manchester City would take him. When clubs of that ilk are interested in a player, it means there's something pretty special there. And I think that we're fortunate that we've got him tied down to a long-term deal. I don't think that interest will go away, even though he's not been at his absolute best this season. Yeah. So I think... Yeah, I think, you know, we've got to embrace him and we've got to we've got to make it work and help him find form. Because I would agree, he's not been quite as good as he has been in the past, but there are a few factors in that... He's played three different positions this season. Let's not forget he started the season playing left wing back. Ah. He's now played right wing back and right back in a four. He's not had a consistent partner in front of him. You know, any, I think, attacking fullback is quite dependent on that player playing ahead of them. Funnily enough, some of Bellerin's best spells have been with quite unusual players on the right wing. Aaron Ramsey, Bellerin played quite well with. Uh, Joel Campbell, he always dubbed quite effectively with. Yeah. So if he can develop a partnership on that side, I think that would be really, really beneficial to him. That's something that's almost certainly going to change next season. You know, moving forward, we're probably going to have a different player in that right wing role from, from, from next summer. So it's a hard season for Bellerin and a, a transitional one for the entire club, let alone him. So, but I, I, yeah, I don't understand quite why he draws so much fire. There's a touch of the touch of the Ramses to it, really, in terms yeah. of the the dislike that people seem to hold for him. Very strange, very strange. Anyway, uh, let's have another question. Let's have another question. Um, okay, what about this? Uh, well, we sort of touched on it earlier, but let's go back to it. Magnus Holmberg said, "What did you make of Callum Chambers' performance yesterday?" Solid enough, all things considered. Were you surprised it was him ahead of Holding? No, because um, 
he's had Chambers on the bench for Premier League games in the last little while and Holding hasn't really been on the bench. Mm. So it, it seems that in terms of whatever pecking order is in Arsene Wenger's mind at this moment in time, Chambers is slightly ahead of Holding. Um, right. So no, I, wa- I wasn't that surprised that it wasn't Holding. Um, but yeah, I thought he was okay. I thought he got done maybe a little bit too easily for the goal, but I think there was a lot more wrong with the goal than the fact that Zaha was allowed to get his trickly little cross in. I didn't think that was, um, you know, it wasn't all down to the fact that Chambers got beaten. I thought actually he dealt quite well with Zaha. Uh, There are a number of times where he won the ball off him, won tackles. Uh, he, He crowded him out. He dealt well with picking up a yellow card in the first half. I thought it was a good yellow card as well to take because there was a break on there for Palace. I quite like that little bit of cynicism in his defending. And, you know, he did he did well enough um, not to have shot himself in the foot, if that's the low bar that we have for defenders at this moment in time. You know, <laughs> but I, I think, you know, when you bring a guy in for his first Premier League start of the season, you know, it's very difficult for a defender to really catch the eye. Like if you bring in a forward for his first start and he bangs in a hat trick, people go, wow, look at that. He really took his chance. Um, Chambers, I think, did well enough to get another go. And whether he gets another go on, on Sunday against West Brom, we'll wait and see. Yeah, I mean, Zaha was always going to be a test for him. I think Zaha's performance has been, has been a little bit overstated in some of the media reports of the game that I've read you know it certainly was no Jefferson Montero scenario for Chambers I thought he dealt with it relatively well and I was pleased to see him in the team I think you know we brought him back the timing's interesting as well I mean just before the January transfer window if he was thinking about do I need to move out on loan suddenly he's back Mm. in the Premier League starting 11 that might give him a little bit of confidence we've got cup games coming up FA Cup League Cup you know, he'll probably start those. So he could have a good, a good little spell now. But I think, uh, yeah, I was I was pleased to see him there. I'm a little bit surprised that he's leapfrogged Holding, just because Holding did so well last season. But I suppose on, in pure seniority terms, when you look at the Premier League experience, Chambers amassed at Middlesbrough, yeah, uh, it does make some sense. All right, here's a question from Dan Young, who's at Danny P. Young. And he wants to know, are calendar year statistics completely pointless? <laughs> I guess this is in uh, reference to Harry Kane having scored more goals in 2017 than anyone else or something or you know Messi and Ronaldo has outscored them both yeah are they pointless um, I don't know I think that we don't have to choose to make a, a, a fuss of them ourselves but you know we all take a lot of pride in some of our achievements that extend beyond a season. You know, the 49 games, for example, that's not contained within a season, but it's a, it's something that we're immensely proud of and understandably yeah. so. I seem to remember as well that when Robin Van Persie was an Arsenal player, he set some kind of record in terms of a calendar year. And right. at the time, we were all very excited about it. I can't remember precisely what it was, but his record was pretty good. And, and I remember Arsenal as well as a team, didn't we, a couple of years ago, weren't we the best team in England over the calendar year of 2015 or something like that? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think inevitably Spurs fans are going to get excited about that and their player achieving that feat. But, well, you yeah. know... I mean, they don't have anything else to get excited about, do they? Well, that's it. It's not a trophy. That's the thing. And we can say, we can point to, you know, three trophies in the last four years. Uh, and I would undoubtedly rather do that. Yeah. I mean, I think there is a... 
there's an element of people wanting to dismiss it because it, it, it's not really relevant. It's only just become a thing recently, hasn't it? Where people go, well, in the calendar year, you know, we've lost less games or fewer games than anybody else away from home, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, what it, what it can show you is a, is how a player or how a club is performing over a period of time, over exactly. two distinct seasons. So if one guy has a, uh, what was his name? The guy who scored all the goals one year and then never scored again. Michael Ricketts? Was that the yeah. guy? Yeah. So if a player has a Michael Ricketts of a season, you go, okay, well, that, is this guy a good player or not? Can he do it next season? And if he does it again next season, then yeah. So I think it just shows you that the, it, it, perhaps it, it can point to consistency. You don't get any prizes, though. Um, or, you know, you wouldn't start trumpeting it as a thing. But I think it's it's wrong to dismiss it as completely irrelevant, if that makes sense. Yeah, I would concur with that. I mean, you know, I sound like I'm about to cry, don't I? You do. <laughs> Harry, about Harry, I would concur with that. Um, I really agree with you on this one. Yeah. I mean, I am upset about how, how good Harry Kane is. It really does make me very sad. Yeah, indeed. it's annoying, isn't it? Yeah, really, really upsetting. But uh, no, it is a pretty, pretty impressive feat that he's that he's managed, even though I don't like saying it. But it's what happens really at the end of the season that, that matters. And let's see what Spurs end up with. Yeah. All right. Your question. My question, and uh, this is from Marilyn Sue Love, who's at Mary Sue 1969 on Twitter. And they say, Shaka's performance today was great. He was moving the ball quickly, getting out of danger areas intelligently, and even invoking the spirit of Santa Claus to beat a couple of press attempts. Do you think he can now build on this? Um, hope so. Hope so, yeah. I mean, look... Again, uh, you know, he's he's had issues this season and he has been careless and wasteful. And I, I kind of understand, for example, why his performances would drive people a bit more mad than, than Bellerin's, for example. But again, yeah. I, I just come back to the point that, I, you know, our midfield uh, setup is is difficult for any player to, to thrive in. I think there's been a perhaps an interesting development of uh, a combination, a partnership between... Jack and Wilshire. There's mm. maybe something going on there. Wilshire sits a little bit deeper than Ramsey does. He likes uh, to be uh, deeper in the midfield. He's not trying to get into the box as much as Ramsey does, for example. So maybe that's helped Jack is to have somebody a bit closer to him. Um, but it's, it's, I don't know if it's a choice for Wilshire or if it's a necessity. You know, I don't know if he's got those legs. Yeah, maybe not. Person. Maybe not. But I think just naturally his game is to 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 be a bit deeper in midfield than than Ramsey, who does like to to get into the box and who times those runs into the box so well. I think you know it's a really big part of his game and a really great part of his game um, Ramsey uh, but you know look I think we're often looking for definitive answers to things uh, after just a very short sample um, what's the word sample size is that the right thing is that what I'm trying to say yeah. told you my words yeah. are wrong but um, it's you know it's it's good to see him playing better but I think he's still got you know a bit to prove uh, in terms of in terms of what he does this season. But it, it feels like maybe things suit him a bit better in a when we're playing with a back four. I think the midfield suits him better than than it does when we're playing with a back three. Although he was really good last night in that in that back three as well. So I think what was interesting for me was how quickly we moved the ball. 
that we didn't uh, we didn't dally on it as much and the pace of our passing literally how hard we were kicking the ball was very very clear uh, from the first whistle last night sometimes you see us pass the ball and it's pedestrian and the ball rolls across to where it's going to go there was a bit of fizz to the way we kicked and passed the ball last night and i think that makes a difference it makes a hell of a difference i mean have you given any thought to the potential composition of the midfield once Aaron Ramsey comes back and if Wilshire can can stay fit, do you think there's a way to to get those two players in into the same team? In a, with a back four. With a yeah, back four there is a midfield of Xhaka, Ramsey and Wilshire. That's possible with, you know, Ozil and Alexis and Lacazette up front. Mm. I don't know if there is in a back three. I don't think there's any way of getting all of them in there. For me, no. not anyway. But that'd be something I would like to see, to be honest with you. Um, as a three, mm. if, if, if the opportunity arises. All right, we've got a uh, transfer window coming up. Uh, yes. Opens in a couple of days. And Michael O'Callaghan, who's at ML O'Callaghan 12, he is the 12th ML O'Callaghan. Um, he says, accepting that signing players alone won't sort all the issues in the team, what one realistic player, realistic is in brackets, would you like to see signed in January? Hmm. Just yeah. having a swig of your pee there, were you? Yeah, exactly. Just mm, so pee. <laughs> Tea with pee. Delicious. Mm. Uh, that sounds bad. Um I that's really hard, you know. Mm. Are you do you think we will buy a player in January? I don't think we will. I'm not sure we will, but I'd like to see. I saw people talking last night about the Schalke guy, Goretzka going to Liverpool, yeah. that would be annoying yeah. because There's he feels... a story in Germany about that. Yeah, he feels gettable. He feels gettable to me from an Arsenal point of view, particularly, you know, with our new German connection, head of recruitment guy, uh, you know, his contract situation. I think he's out of contract in the summer. You know, maybe if we really wanted him, we could go in with an offer to Schalke. Uh, but again, it comes down to, you know, the player obviously wanting to sign for us. Um Apparently so Bill say that he he will he will join Liverpool on a, a pre contract for next summer. Right. Well, uh, that sounds. Yeah, Bill is not always the most reliable, but no, it wouldn't be a surprise. You know, Liverpool are doing some some interesting business, aren't what they? What did you make of that of the Van Dyke deal? I see a lot of people asking us about that uh, about you know is it seventy five million blown or whatever? Would you have liked to see Arsenal spend seventy five million on Van Dyke? I go back to what we were talking about at the start of the podcast about our defensive issues going way beyond personnel. Mm. Like I don't I don't see even if he spent 75 million or 100 million on Van Dyke, I don't see him being able to offset all the other issues that we have defensively. So I look at it and think, yeah, he looks like a decent player. He does look like a decent center half. I wonder if he looks as good as he does because there is a real dearth of central defensive talent out there. Sure. He seems like, I won't say the best of a bad law, that's that's talking him down, but I don't think that there is a great deal of central defensive talent out there, really. And uh, that's why he looks as impressive as he does. You can see why Liverpool are going to go for him as well. Um, but, yeah. So what, what were we talking about before? What do you make of it? I think obviously it's a crazy amount of money, but I kind of can't begrudge Liverpool spending it because I think they know they're going to recoup a huge amount of cash probably for Coutinho next summer. 
Um, he'll probably kick up a fuss and want to go to Barcelona and they'll pay something absurd. And I also think that, you know, the market is what it is. I mean, you know, mm. and what I'll give them some credit for, Liverpool, is that Klopp has always been a guy since he's been there who said, I want my number one targets. And his number one targets were Cater and Van Dijk. And when he didn't get Van Dijk in the summer, he didn't go and buy somebody else. He waited till January. Uh, and the same with Cater. He was prepared to wait a year to get him. And they are prepared to pay what they have to pay to get those players who they believe are the solution. So yeah. whether or not it, it fixes it for them, I don't know. I mean, I think Liverpool aren't that different to Arsenal in that they have some sort of structural defensive problems. And I'm not sure one individual is, well, in fact, I know one individual is not going to fix that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a daunting deal, isn't it? Because it shows you what we're up against in terms of the, the financial power of these other clubs. Now, we are one of probably six seven maybe teams in this country who can go out and do something like that yeah yep 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 um as for what come back to the question (laughs) we should do the thing shouldn't we we should do the thing um the prediction thing yeah yeah like are we okay how many players are going out well, there's some talk, isn't there, that that Van Dyke money may be reinvested on Theo Walcott. I don't know if you very, saw. Very, 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 very loud whispers that Theo Walcott will be joining uh, Southampton on a permanent deal in January. Right. So that's an out. I mean, how much, how much would you expect Southampton to pay for Theo Walcott? I don't know, you know. They've just um, got their they're flush. We know they're flush. They've just got 75 million in. Theo Walcott is, what, 29? Still has a couple of years left on his contract. I think we're within our rights to demand, I don't know, 25 million or over. Yeah. In this market, why not? I mean, I wouldn't Let's, pay it. Should but, we say <laughs> maybe 30 million? Um, For an English forward, you know, a, a potential England international who's got a good sort of, you know image rights, you know, all that stuff around him. Uh, he'll sell you a load of shirts, although we know that doesn't actually make any money. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, 30 million, that would be... 30 million. So I think that's one out. I think we'll get, I think we'll get 20 million, probably. Okay. Because we'll do them some weird favour, just because, just because. Well, his wages will be pretty hefty as well. Yeah. Um, but it is, in fairness, it's 120 grand a week off the wage bill that could be redistributed, perhaps to uh, entice one of our other players to stay. Maybe, yes, maybe Mesedozo contract for Takuma Asano <laughs> tie him down. <laughs> uh, yeah, before yeah, before all the big Bundesliga clubs come in for him. Um, I think uh, Debushi might go as well if they can get someone to take him. Then yeah. I think so. That they, they they would that would be it for me in terms of permanent departures. I can't really see anybody else going. I do. Th- uh, I mean, maybe a Tuba Akpom if someone yeah. wants to take a gamble on Tuba. I think. Um, I think uh, when it comes to January business, normally you might look at some young players going out on loan, but because uh, we're still involved in the Carabao Cup. That's the issue there, that we're still involved in the Carabao Cup until the end of January at least, then I, I think that might have an influence on what we do. So we might see some late loan departures if uh, we don't get through against Chelsea in the Carabao Cup semi-finals. I think that then opens the door for some loan moves for perhaps the likes of Nelson, for Joe Willock, 
Maybe for Enketia, who knows? But um, now Nelson is one I've got my eye on actually because he ha- hasn't even particularly been starting, has he? In those Carabao Cup games, he's been on the bench as a rule um, in the most recent rounds, anyway. And I think you know. <sighs> I think the senior players will get more opportunities in those competitions, the Europa League, the League Cup, as they wear on. So mm. I think it would be good for him to go and play some first-team football, you know, be that in the Championship or, or in the Premier League. OK, um, now the big question. So, yes. Anyone coming in? So I'm going to say no. Mm. I'm going to say no. Um, that's my prediction, guys. No. I'm going to say 30 million for Walcott. Very optimistic. And then probably nothing for Debushi. And yeah, nobody coming in, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very much erring on the, um, on the same kind of thing for, uh, for coming in. I, I just can't see it. Just can't see it. Um, no, no. In, in answer to the original question, if you could get someone, Goretzka would be your, your guy? I think so, just in terms of who's available. Yeah. Just in terms of available, but, but when it comes to... Do you think there's no chance of the, the Lamar deal being resurrected at this point in the season? No. 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 I had to think about that, yeah. and then I was like... Yeah, you did, no. yeah. <laughs> um... No, I can't see it. I think Monaco have pretty much ruled it out anyway. So um, so there you go. So what we're saying is that there's going to be another transfer window in which we make a profit. Is that, that That's where we're going Lovely. with this? Well, to be honest, if there was ever a transfer window in which we needed to make a profit, it probably is this one, I would say. To get you us know, ready for the summer. Course. Yeah, yeah. I just think we're going to have to spend next summer probably like we um, and so anything we can do to kind of swell the coffers without jeopardising our chances of making the top four, I think we have to do. And I think our best chance of making the top four, our best chance for next season is to sell some Deadwood, raise some money, keep the players who are our best players, Ursula and Sanchez, and, until the last day of their contract and try and get into that Champions League mm. and use that money plus the money we can get for anyone we don't need in January to rebuild. I, I just think... That's our best bet All right. going forward. Well, look, we'll see. Obviously, there's going to be a month of uh, speculation followed by yellow tide bollocks on transfer deadline day. Um, but we'll uh, we'll wait and see what happens. But look, we, we better leave it there for this one. Uh, we do have a game on Sunday away at West Brom. Do you fancy any changes? Do you think he's going to make any changes? Will he have half an eye on Chelsea for that one? I think ordinarily he would, but I just think, you know, at this time of the year, you have to accept that the games come thick and fast. And I think we probably can't afford to rotate too heavily. What do you think? Do you think Lacazette will play? I have a feeling he might give Lacazette a break. I think he might put well back up front against West Brom. Right. Maybe. I think you want him sharp for the home game against Chelsea, where Lacazette has been best at home. So I wonder... Yeah, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. Yeah, I think he might have to, just generally speaking, he's going to have to think about his team a bit carefully because it's only three days and then you've got, what, two days recovery, then another game. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, it's whether or not he can do it successfully. And, uh, and uh, you know, there's some players you just can't rotate, so it's going to be Alexis and Ozil playing as much 
yeah. uh, as possible. So, look, that's it. And, look, you're away now. You're going to um, India and Sri Lanka for a month, so you won't be on Arscast Extra Duty until, uh, what, February? Or is it the end of this month? When I'll do you be come back, back for the end of the transfer window to see how, how my predictions panned out. Right. Let me look at the dates here. So, December... There is... So there's Monday the 29th. Are you around for that one? I believe I am. Okay. Yes, I think I land that day. So hopefully we can get something done that day. Okay. Um, cool. Well, look, have a great time. Travel well Thank and you. safely. Well, not too safe. We'll no, see. <laughs> no, no, just just safely. I think, I think it's... Uh, I think everybody would wish that for you. Don't get too ill. Not too I'll well. try not to. And what what's going to happen in the meantime? You're going to keep giving people the, the good the good stuff, the Arscast extras. Yeah, we're going to continue with uh, some different uh, guest co-hosts uh, over the course of the month. Um, which reminds me, I've got a few emails and DMs to send. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I've got to get some of that organised. I've got a couple organised, and then we'll keep it going during the month, of course. So we'll have the the Arscast extra, same format, different co-host, and the Arscast regular on on Fridays. Uh, as ever, so uh, people I'll can be listening uh, in like you a listen jealous in. lover. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, exactly. You could just lie back on your your hammock, submit my sh- questions. Your Sri Lankan hammock, I presume. Asking what your best eleven is <laughs> every week. <laughs> Should we sell Alexis? Yeah, no, that'll be me. Yeah, that'll be you. On um, the hashtag. All right. Well, look. Have a great time. Have a great time, and uh, we'll catch you when you return. And um, thanks uh, to everybody for listening. Of course, this is the last uh, Arscast Extra or the last podcast of the calendar year. Of course. The calendar year. The calendar year. How many podcasts did we do in the calendar year? I mean, we must have set a record. We must have a record for downloads and everything else. So thanks to everybody who has listened in 2017. Uh, The calendar year uh, trophy goes to you guys. Thanks very much. (laughs) We will have an Arscast for you, another Arscast Extra on Monday after the game on Sunday. Uh, Join me and the mystery co-host for that, James. Take it easy. Have a good one. And we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.